The text for the gospel this afternoon comes from John 17. But before we read that text, I would like to ask you, children, a question. Imagine, boys and girls, that you're in your house and you see a door that you have never seen before. You can tell this is an imaginary story. You see a door that you haven't seen before in your house and you go up to the door and you turn the handle and you push the door open and you see inside and you see Jesus. And Jesus is kneeling on the ground and he's praying for your family. What do you think he would be praying for? What kind of thing, things do you think he would be praying for? Or maybe you can imagine this. Imagine that the sermon is done. Don't get too excited, it's not done yet. Imagine the sermon is done, and just before the Thanksgiving prayer, Jesus appears through that door, and he says, I will now lead you in prayer. That would be something, huh? What would he pray for? Now, maybe all of this sounds silly to you, to imagine that, but Matthew 8 says, where two or three are gathered in his name, the Spirit of Jesus is there. And so by his Holy Spirit, Jesus is here, right now, right here among us. And he speaks to us via his word. So let's pay real close attention now when we read from his word. In Romans 8 and 2 Timothy 2 and in Hebrews 7 it says that Jesus continues to pray for us. And so in a deep and real spiritual sense, the Lord is here and Jesus is praying for us. And what does he pray? Well, let's read John chapter 17. And we start at verse 20. He's praying for the future church. So he prayed this prayer 2,000 years ago, and he's praying it for us now, for those who would come to believe. So let's read it now. This is the, word, the holy word of God for his church. I do not ask for these only, but only for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they be, may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be, become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know you that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, that prayer speaks a lot about love. You could say it's a prayer of love. It speaks about the love that exi exists between God the Father and God the Son, the intertrinitarian love of God that has existed before the foundation of the world. But it also speaks of the love of God for you, the love of God for his church. You know, one of the most loving things a Christian could do is pray for somebody. You kids should remember that. You should pray for the people that you love as Christians. It's one of the most loving things you can do. Sometimes I talk to people and they say, I'm thinking about you. 
or they say, I'm sending a positive thought your way. Well, that's really nice and really kind of them, but it's a little bit vague. As Christians, we say, I am praying for you. And we actually pray for them. And we pray with them right there on the spot. One of the most loving things a Christian can do is bring somebody before the throne of God and ask the Lord to pour his blessings on him. That's how Christians ought to love each other. Do you kids think that it is possible you can pray for someone that you haven't met yet? Can you pray for somebody that you have never met? I think you can. So, for example, maybe your mom gets pregnant and she has a baby growing inside her and you pray for the unborn baby. Even though you've never met your brother or sister yet, you'd be praying for the unborn baby. Really, that's the kind of prayer Jesus is praying here. He's praying for people that he hasn't met yet. He's praying for the believers who will come, who will be born again in the future. And he prays a loving prayer because Jesus loved you before you even existed. And he he was praying this prayer for you before you even existed. Ephesians 1 tells us that God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. In his love, predestining us for adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ. So before the world began, God was setting his covenant love on you already. And then when Jesus came, he prayed a prayer of love for you before his death. Right before his death, actually. In the book of John, Jesus was thinking about you and he was praying for you. You've had his loving attention before you even knew it. Isn't that wonderful? And so, what is Jesus praying for? If Jesus was praying for all of us, or us, you, as individuals, or as a church, at Pathway Christian Church here, what was he praying for you? The first thing I'd like to highlight is this. He was praying that we would be one. He was praying a prayer of unity. If you listened at that door, that we, the example we used earlier, remember that imaginary door in your house? And you could hear Jesus praying for us? It would be a prayer for the unity of this church. That all of us would be one. That should encourage us to live our lives according to the prayer of Jesus. Verse 21 says that they may all be one, just as you, the Father, and I are in me, and I in you. In verse 22 and 23, that they may be one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. So it's a prayer that we would be one as a church, just as Jesus and God the Father are one in the Trinity. God is three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in one God. He is diversity in unity. He is diversity in unity. The Athanasian Creed says it this way. Now this is the Catholic faith that we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity. I'll say that again. We worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity. In Jesus' prayer for the church, including our church here, that's made up of a whole bunch of diversity of people. That amongst his diverse group of people that we would be one in the same way 
that the Trinity is diverse and yet one, that our unity would reflect the unity of the Trinity that we serve. Now, it's also a little bit deeper than that. I'm a fan of these videos that they show on YouTube, put out by Wired Magazine. And they have these videos that are called the Going Deeper series. They're very interesting. What they do is they get someone who's an expert in a particular field, you know, they get someone who's a musician or someone who's an astrophysicist, and they ask them to explain their area of expertise at five different levels. They start off with a child in primary school, and then they talk to them and they have an interview with them, and then somebody sort of in high school, college level, up, and then someone doing their masters, and it goes all the way up to an expert. You end up watching them explain a very simple concept, but uh, they usually lose me after the high school level. But it's very interesting. You can look at scripture a lot like this too. There's Jesus' prayer here, in your diversity be one, in the same way that the Trinity is diverse and is one. And yet as we take this in the broader scope of Scripture, we realize that there, is a deep, that there are also deeper levels to what we are reading here. It's about imitating the Trinity. Yes, but more so than that. In verse 23, Jesus prays that we would be perfectly one in a way that the observing world would be able to recognize it. So he's praying for the visible, recognizable, tangible unity of this church. And he's praying that because we already have an invisible spiritual unity as believers together in the Lord Jesus Christ. So in 1 Corinthians 6, we read, He who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Galatians 2 says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In Romans 6, it says, If we, the church, have been united with Christ in his death, we're also united with him in his resurrection. As individuals, by virtue of being believers, we are united together to Christ spiritually. And it also means that we are, by definition, united to each other, spiritually as believers. And that's why Paul will say in Galatians 3, there is neither Jew nor Gentile nor slave or free. There is not male or female. You're all one in Jesus Christ. Saying you are one, that's a fact. So the invisible spiritual unity that we have as a church, we don't have to create it. It already exists. We are one. We are one. So when Christ is praying... He's praying that our invisible unity, the unity that isn't there yet, the fact that we are spiritually one in Christ, that would be expressed in visible unity. That it would be expressed in a visible way so that people could see that we would be perfectly one, or you could say that we would be completely one. It's like he's praying, may those who are already one demonstrate that unity. Sorry. May those who are already one in Christ and therefore one with each other now completely and perfectly demonstrate that unity to the world around them. So I'm going to say that again. That we would be perfectly one or you could say that we would be completely one. It's like he is praying, may those who are already one in Christ and therefore one with each other 
now completely or perfectly demonstrate that unity to the world around them. So does that make sense? You read Paul in 1 Corinthians 1, who will say, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, that there be no divisions among you, that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. He's making that appeal on the basis that that they are brothers and sisters already spiritually united in Christ, and he's saying, make it perfect. Make that unity complete. Be of one mind. Live in peace. Encourage one another. Be like-minded. Be of the same love. Being one in spirit and of mind, he says in Philippians 2. When Jesus prays this prayer for our unity, he's saying, Lord, may they be united in a way that reflects the Trinity. And he prays, may their spiritual unity together in Christ be expressed in tangible, visible ways in everyday life that people can see. And really, we find that same gospel logic in the form for the celebration of the Lord's Supper. The Lord willing, we will be celebrating the Lord's Supper in three weeks weeks here at Pathway. So if you were to look at the form under the heading fellowship, it says this, by the same spirit, we are also united in true brotherly love as members of one body. For as the Apostle Paul says, there is one bread, we who are many are one body. For we all partake of one bread, and as one bread is baked out of many grains, grains, and one wine pressed out of many grapes, so we all, incorporated in Christ by faith, are together one body. For the sake of Christ, who so exceedingly loved us first, we shall now love one another and show this unity to one another, not just in words, but also in deeds. That's in the, in the form. So, brothers and sisters, I'm so thankful for the unity that we can experience here in this church. We are a new church, but I'm so thankful that the Lord, for the unity we have in this congregation, we're not experiencing any major divisions. There are no giant fights that are happening. That doesn't mean, of course, that we don't have our differences. We're not ex- there are differences of, of opinion. We have lots of those. Not all of us see eye to eye on everything. We're not all of the same political opinions. We're not all of the same opinions on social issues. We're not all of the same opinion on how it's best to educate our children. We don't agree 100% on every detail of how our life as Christians should be lived. We don't agree on every detail of how we ought to relate to the government, how we ought to run worship services, also during these COVID restrictions. We're not all of the same opinion when it comes to wearing masks and social distancing, but we are one. We are one in Jesus Christ. We recognize that what binds us together is far greater than what is different among us. Just as the Trinity is diversity in unity, so we are also diverse in unity. And Jesus' prayer is that we would perfect or complete that unity by making it visible and tangible in everyday life. So, brothers and sisters, in a tangible way, what might that then look look like for you and me? Well, let's ask ourselves some questions. Is there any way 
that my attitude needs to change in order to help promote unity in this church? Or two, is there any way in which my language that I speak or the way that I comment on social media need to change in order to promote the unity of the church of this church, of Christ's church? Is it possible that I need to change some of my social activities in order to better express unity in the church? Are there any barriers that I've put up in my life that hinder unity to other believers? What personal habits, what personal habits do I have to make a change to for the sake of unity? What personal rights do I need to stop investing in? Perhaps you need to stop coming to this church as a consumer, and perhaps looking only to receive. Maybe you and I should be coming to this congregation thinking about what it is that we can give to this church. How can you serve others? How can you contribute? How can you have a servant attitude? Pledge in your heart today that the unity of this local church would be your priority. Do it prayerfully and practically. So Jesus prays that we would be one. He could have stopped here. He could have said, Amen, end of sermon, that's it. But he doesn't. He doesn't stop here, and so we ought not to stop here either. There's another thing that we need to highlight in Jesus' prayer here. Because this is a prayer for unity, and it is also a prayer for mission. It's a prayer that we might be one, so that the world would know God. You could say it this way. It's a prayer that we might be one so that we would become many. Verse 21 says that they may be one just as you the Father are in me and I in you. That they may also be in us so that, and here is the reason, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And then in verse 23, I in them and you in me. That they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. So Jesus prays for the unity in the church so that the watching world around us would know that Jesus was sent from God. Our unity as a congregation has missionary purpose. According to the prayer of Jesus, it has missionary purpose. We are one to become many. We are one to become many. This is a missionary prayer. The prayer is about Jesus having been sent into the world on the mission from the Father, and he's praying that his disciples would go out and become missionaries, and that those who believe because of the missionary activities of his disciples would then do the same prayer for the unity of of the church of Jesus Christ. It's a prayer for the ongoing missionary growth of the church in the world. And that's important. Because it's easy as a church when you talk about unity in a church to talk about unity as an end to itself. And as if while we want to be unified, you know, unity is to make our life nice. Because when you're unified, nobody argues and nobody fights and nobody knows divisions. And so you think that about that, that it's just an end in itself. It becomes then also a temptation to cling to unity for unity's sake whether or not it's helping us to do mission or not. But Jesus' vision for unity is so that more people will know him 
and that more people will be drawn to the church and be unified to Christ and unified with each other. And that this would continue to grow. That church unity is not just for our enjoyment, but it's designed for the world's benefit. In Matthew chapter 8, which we read as our scripture reading this afternoon, Jesus marvels at one of the first Gentile converts to Christ. And he says, I tell you, many will come from the east and the west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. He is given this worldwide vision for his church, this universal vision of the glory of the Lord that will cover all the earth. And the people from the east and the west will come, the people who are not originally part of the covenant, people of Israel, extended beyond the bounds of his congregation, out into the world, so that all of God's elect might be gathered in. O Lord, bring in your church from all the corners of the world. And that also means you must be ready to walk to the ends of the earth. What might that look like for you and me? Perhaps it means to dedicate yourself to have more unbelievers or those that are ignorant to the word of God, to have more of them in your social bubble so that you may have the opportunity to speak to people about the love of Jesus. Certainly it means praying by name for, do, for those who do not know Christ. Your family members, your co-workers, your neighbors, to pray for opportunity to have spiritual conversations with those people and with people. Since unity and mission are bound together in Jesus' prayer, you do that with other believers. And then your unity together in a social setting, whether it's a mixed group of believers and unbelievers, the unity that you share with believers will further be a testimony to God's love. Dedicate yourselves to inviting people to this church, to inviting people into your home, into your care groups, to read the Bible with them. For some of you, that might be a scary prospect, and maybe you just need to take 20 seconds of courage to ask the question to invite them think of it some of you have had neighbors and colleagues colleagues for years and years and you've never gotten past simply only telling them that you happen to go to church on Sundays and now it's been so long that it feels like an embarrassment to talk to them about actually going to church or you ought to talk to them about God's word or Jesus himself Today, Jesus prays for those who would be his believers through the words of his disciples. And so we follow Paul's response to that in Ephesians 6. Lord, open my mouth so that words would be given me that I might boldly make known the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then what can we do more as a church, as a new congregation here in Abbotsford? Well, the elders and deacons of our new church are continually planning and amongst that planning, they are talking about the mission of our congregation. How we ought to obey that great commission of the mission. We are also, as a congregation, dedicated to supporting missionaries in far-off places, in, like Mexico, where we have Scott Bradenhoff. It is fantastic that as a church, we can support this missionary work through our budget and through our offerings. But let's also think about the examples that we have from other churches in our federation who are planting new congregations 
and planting new congregations, not just because they've outgrown the building and they need to split into two groups, but also planting new congregations with the purpose and attention of bringing unbelievers to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. I think about some of the poor neighborhoods we have here in Abbotsford. I think of the homeless along Riverside Road here and other neighborhoods that have low income and high crime and have poor health statistics. Just look in front of the Salvation Army there on Gladys Avenue. Neighborhoods that are in desperate need of material help, but most of all, dedicated believers who share the gospel and are willing to give a robust gospel witness. Jesus is praying for us. He is praying that Pathway Christian Church would be one so that we can become many, so that through our unified witness and through our mission, people from the East and the West would come and be one with us. May you be pledging in your heart to work toward the unity of this church, but also as the missionary calling of this church, may that be your practical and prayerful priority. Taking up your cross can be sort of hard-hitting, a hard-hitting message, but don't allow yourself to become discouraged. Don't allow yourself to be scared. Strengthen your weak knees and raise, raise up your drooping hands. The Holy Spirit is here. The Holy Spirit is among us. We can do it with his help. You can do it. The Lord Jesus Christ is praying for us. Isn't that comforting? Remember that this is a prayer. And it's a prayer of love. Remember that. Please remember that you were loved before the foundation of the world. You were loved at the cross. You were loved at the empty tomb. You are loved now as Jesus himself continues to intercede for you. For us, we're loved. You know, you don't receive the love of Christ because you're unified and and have great mission projects. No, you're unified and on mission because you have received the love of Christ. So perhaps you're here today and you need to repent. Maybe you need to change. Maybe you need to, need to make room in your heart for the unity of this congregation and for the mission of Christ's church. If that's the case, remember that the power and fuel for repentance and change is the love of God in Jesus Christ. The love of the one God in the Trinity, in unity. The love laid out for you. Come from the East. Come from the West and be nourished by Jesus himself. Christ Jesus is praying for you. Amen.